Praise God. You guys can be seated. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 11. How many know we don't stop worshiping now? We worship in the Word as well. You know, my favorite thing, one of the reasons why I love William is because he understands that until we've realized the presence of God, we've done nothing. He understands that. And that's one of the reasons why I love him outside of his hair and his voice. <laughs> so Romans chapter 11. I'm gonna pray, okay? Just close your eyes with me, put your hand on your heart. I'm just gonna pray, just pray for our time. Jesus, I ask you for sweetness that they may taste your words. I ask you for stillness so that I do not waste words. And I ask you for wisdom so that I will not haste words. Be glorified, be seen, be loved, be adored. Show yourself strong and mighty. Step into the center of the room and steal all the attention in your precious name. Amen, amen. So the greatest need in the world, but more specifically in the church, I believe, is a grander or a more grand vision of the beauty of Jesus Christ. I feel like when we lose sight of the beauty of Jesus Christ, we sink into works, we sink into lusts, we sink into vanities, we sink into deception, we sink into complexity. It's the beauty of Jesus that ends complexity. It's the beauty of Jesus, as John Wesley said, the Christian is kept from sin by greater attractions to Christ. <laughs> I believe to see Christ as he truly is, to see him in his beauty, is the universal solution to all the internal problems. So this is why the God of this world blinds the minds from seeing the glories of Christ. His whole goal is don't let them see him for what he really is. His whole goal in deceptions and in lusts of this age, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, his whole goal is this, don't let them see him. Because if they see him, they will love him. And if they love him, they will follow him. And if they follow him, he is really the king of the ages. Praise God. So I want to talk to you a little bit about this beauty. Because there is a charm in his every feature. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Inside of him, rubies turn to toys. And emeralds, sordid dust. Pride is worthless noise. And mansions are morbid rust. In the sight of Jesus, the way that he truly is, 
So I've come today with one goal, and it's to make a melody to God by plucking the ten strings of your being. Because I know who's in this room. I know many of your faces in here. And I know you love Jesus with every fiber of your being. And I'm praying today the Spirit freshly in your life will just pluck those strings again. And you'll find that that love can increase all the more by seeing him clearer and clearer. Praise God we can see the Lord. Jesus tells his disciples in John 14, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. The scripture tells us that Moses endured seeing him who is unseen. You can see the Lord. Paul prays that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened so that you will see. Oh, when you see Jesus, everything is put in its proper perspective. And we begin to see things differently that are complaining in our lives is really a lack of vision of Jesus. So how is that possible, Eric? Well, because when you put anything next to his face, it all pales in comparison to him. And you begin to see that complaining is just the giving voice to an inward rebellion against God's ways. So I wanna to talk to you a little bit about this. So, as the sun rises, all the stars dim, we know this. A very simple principle, a greater light extinguishes lesser lights. It's just clear as day. Jesus Christ is the light that extinguishes all other lights. But this is men's failure. They don't realize this. And to use an old Puritan proverb, they said, if the sun does not shine, all the candles in the world won't make it day. And that's man's problem. He's lighting candles trying to find the light of the sun. We light a candle to uh, a friend. I look to my friend to be life to me or light to me. I look to a spouse. I look to children. I look to money. I look to fame. I look to success. I look to gratification. And these are all candles. But if you light them all, you still will not get the light of the sun. Only Jesus satisfies. And all those other little candles, they're snuffed out with the smallest wind change. You may put all your hope in getting a husband or get all your hope in having a wife or get all your hope in having children or something and then just one bad wind can snuff that thing out. But Jesus cannot be snuffed out. And this is what he desires us to see. All the joys of the world are inferior to him. And when we realize this, we see that the joys of the earth are inconsistent as the earth, but the joys that come from him are as consistent as him, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The scripture tells us that he who's from above is above all. That means that everything about him also tops everything else, about, or tops everything else period. See, the joys of the earth are like the earth. They're earthy, but the joys that come from Christ are like him heavenly. I just want to call our minds to what we are actually looking at when we say the beauty of Jesus Christ, the one who trumps all other things. He is superior and causes all things to be seen as inferior to him. So herein lies the symmetry. Do you know this word symmetry? 
Same on both sides. It's, it's basically, it's the basic understanding of beauty. Quasimodo, you know, Quasimodo, he's not, he's not beautiful. He's, he's instrumental, you know. It's symmetry that we recognize to be beauty. If you go to the, the, a, mall, a mall and you see models and stuff, you look, the symmetry. It's just basic principle of beauty. And God's beauty is also connected to his symmetry. But it's not a symmetry so much in his physical person as it is in his nature and name and character and glory. He is perfectly balanced. And this beauty of his nature and his ways, his character, is what steals your heart away. This is what we mean when we say the beauty of Jesus Christ. He is perfectly symmetrical in his insides, in the way that he deals with you, and the way he deals with the world. It will come out in the end that everything was done absolutely perfectly. Sometimes you just can't see it. So we see this, the symmetry is this, and this is what I want to touch on, and then I'll be done. That there is no one who is higher and there is no one who went lower and herein is the beauty of Jesus Christ. The fact that he has scraped the highest heaven and he set his glory above the heavens, but yet he has went down and descended into hell. He has went to the depths and he is in the heights. Simultaneously, he has scraped the highest and scraped the lowest and herein, no one else can go as high or go as low. We worship him because there's none higher, but we love him because none has went lower. You say, Eric, what, I know all this. Yes, I'm trying to just call your mind to look at it again and again and live by it. Eric, I know this already. I pray that today we all see it in a new way. Because to see his beauty is an endless vision. You, it is an inexhaustible sight of, of resplendent glory. He literally can captivate your heart every time you look at him because he's inexhaustible. So we turn our eyes to look at this, this symmetry of who he is. I wrote this poem down. Who is this who holds the wind in his fist? Sits in bliss and gives life by kisses who himself is riches. This is the king of glory who bends his knee to feed thee. Bleeding he freed thee and in needing he keeps thee. It's our highest joy to preach thee and it's heaven on earth to seek thee. <laughs> so looking at Romans 11, go all the way to the very end. As a matter of fact, just look at verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 1. Everybody's read this and everybody knows this almost by heart. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God to present, look at this, Present your bodies as living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to you, everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. <laughs> we'll stop right there. Present your body to the Lord. And don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. This is Paul's advice to you. But there's a, one word that hinges on to something else that explains the motive, explains the source, explains why he says this word, these words. That word there in the very first verse, therefore. Look at verse 33 of chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom 
and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord who has become his counselor? Who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him, through him, and to him are all things to him be all the glory forever. Therefore, present your bodies to him. I say this to say that it is a high view of him that causes you to lay yourself low before him. And it is a rising up that automatically happens in the human heart and the human mind when you forget who God is. It's important that we remember who he is because in seeing him, as one of the old Puritans wrote, he said, a vision of God is the quietus of pride. Quietus is the finishing stroke. It's like a, that chopping the head off, it's dead. What kills pride? A vision of God. We need a fresh vision of God. There are divisions in the midst of the church because we forgot what God is and who God is. Because our high, our high thoughts of ourselves cause us to become stubborn. Stubbornness is a resolute adherence to your own will. That means you don't know, you have forgotten who God is. To hold on to your will is the manifestation of having forgotten who God is. The, the response to seeing God as God and seeing him rightly is the release of the will. I lay my body down before you. As I've said it before, and I'll say it to the day that I die, when you present your body, when you lay down before the Lord, you're laying down your mind the way you think. You're laying down your eyes, what you see. You're laying down your ears, what you've heard other people say. You're laying down your mouth, which means what you have to say about the matter doesn't matter anymore. The only thing that matters is he is God. And you, you come to the conclusion like Job, and you put your hand over your mouth, and you say, I am insignificant. Job has all these things going on in his life, and he's looking at God, what in the world, what in the world, what in the world? And God comes to him, and you know what God says to him? He doesn't give him any answers at all. He just shows him who he is. And when he shows him who he is, Job's conclusion is this. Oh, my goodness. I am insignificant. I have thought too much of myself. Are you following what I'm saying? So I'm going to get into this here. But this is the major point that I wanted to show you, that this is how you lay your life down before the Lord by seeing who he is. When you forget or when you stop looking at who God is, when you stop looking at his beauty, the heights of his person, you will stop laying yourself low. It's the inevitable response or the, the inevitable result of forgetting God to not lay your life down before him. So if we look at a couple of things that the scriptures say about who God is, I say these things because sometimes you have to Stir up your vision of God by mind and memory. You take this self-disclosure. That's what your Bible is. It's God's self-disclosure of himself. You put this before your eyes and you, make, you apply your mind to what God has told you about himself and let that take the, the precedent place or the, the preeminent place or the primary place of your understanding and your eyes. Are you following me? This is very important for us. You see, the psalmist does this over and over and over. He remembers his God. And you know what happens to him when he remembers his God? He praises. You know, praise is not something you do. Praise is something that happens to you when you remember your God. Praise is what happens when you see God rightly. You say, oh, my blessed be the name of the Lord our God. You understand? 
It's not like, you know, I was taught in church, it's like, you know, you don't feel like praising, so you just, you know, you put your praise on. You just kind of put your praise on and kind of make it work, you know what I mean? Listen, you diminish the thing that you praise when you praise without feeling. But to remember your God, praise will happen to you. That's what we see the psalmist do. He says, they seek my life, but I love your words. He says, men have surrounded me, but my God is greater, he says. So we look at these things and we say, who in the skies is like you? Who among the sons of the mighty are like you, God? You are God greatly feared in the counsel of the holy. Praise God. You are God far above all who surround you. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Keep these things before your eyes because that's one part of his beauty. That's the heights. We must look up and see him. Recently, there's been so many prophecies about what's gonna come this next year. And I think the sun has gone down on most of our prophets. But the reality is, is this, it's so much better to look up than to try to see what's coming. It's, it's so much better to put your eyes upon the coming one than trying to find out what's coming. So we have, the scriptures tell us, listen to these things and let praise, let your mind go with me to what he has told us about himself, okay? Come with me. Let's do this. The scripture says, all things are his servants. The scripture says, he works all things after the counsel of his own will. The scripture says, his sovereignty rules over all and that he sits in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. He who is here now, who walks on the winds and rides on the clouds, he makes the grass grow and he feeds all the cows. <laughs> to me, this always causes a chuckle on the inside of me. Because he's so personally and intimately involved in everything. He measures the earth, the scripture says. And then he stretched out the sky. He laid the foundations of heaven on high. He tells Job that he shuts the sea in with doors and he puts boundaries where they cannot pass. He tells him that he lifts the sun in the morning and he lights the moon at night. That he paints the clouds with his fingers and he strolls the recesses of the ocean. Let your mind go higher because you'll go lower. He tells us also, he says, I made the gates of death and I alone can see inside of their darkness. Who is this who holds the wind in his fists and sits in bliss and gives life by kisses? Praise God. He puts the snow in storage. Listen to these words. These are God's words. I put the snow in storage and I collect hail for a timed release. The scripture tells us that he is the father of rain, dew, and sleet. Could it be that every raindrop hits its appointed target and that he sits in the heavens and throws lightning bolts wherever he wishes? Could it be that the scriptures are actually accurate when they tell us these things about our God? The scripture tells us that he tends to gardens that men will never see, that he tightens and looses the constellations, but yet he guides the bear with her cubs. This is your God. Listen to what I just said. He can tighten and loosen the constellations. And yet we're worried about money. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Do you see? When you see how high he is, you see how worry has no place. When you see who he is, you begin to say to yourself, man, worry is the seed of atheism. The 
And so the scripture tells us that he, listen to this, he puts wisdom in the minds of men and understanding inside of their hearts. And all the while, a numberless multitude surround him, worshiping him day and night. This is how high and glorious he is. And this is the first part of his glorious beauty that he flung the stars, those heavenly flames. He counts their numbers and knows their names. He gives flight to the eagle and he tightens the clam. He puts your tears in a bottle. He writes your name on his hand. <laughs> oh my goodness. If we could see him as he's telling us he is, we would never fear. We would never doubt. And we would listen to Jesus' words. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe in me. Praise God. I feel in my heart like God is expanding my understanding of who he actually is. And it is making faith on the inside of me. And I pray the same for all of us. See, and if this doesn't steal your heart away by looking at his heights and how glorious he is and that he dwells in light that cannot even be approached. If that doesn't steal your heart away, then let's look at Philippians chapter 2 for a second. And then we'll be done. Look at verse 6, talking of Jesus. Although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him a name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we see the heights in what God has revealed himself to be but we also see the beauty in what he has chosen to do for us in going low. And you say if that doesn't if the heights doesn't steal your heart with beauty, then look at the depths. As a matter of fact, the higher you see, the lower you'll see he went. If you see him to be grand and glorious, then coming even to become a man is humiliating. But if you have a low view of God, then you'll have a low view of his death. But your high view of God gives you a high view of what he did. This is called the beauty of Jesus. And this is why we say statements like this. You are beautiful, Lord. The irresistible beauty of Jesus Christ. It's not that he walked around and everybody said, oh, that must be the son of God. Look how cute he is. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the physical appearance. It has to do with the outrays of his nature and name and character revealed to you in the word and experienced by you in your life. You remember when he healed you? You remember when he healed your loved one? Remember when he is, listen to this. Remember how often he has been so kind and patient with you. You say, uh, you know, I just don't know about this beauty of the Lord. Has he not been very patient with you? Almost so patient that you should be embarrassed? I'm embarrassed by God's patience with me. That's why it's so hard to, 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 like, when somebody says, you know, you did a great job today, it's like, well, I'm embarrassed by how often God has had to have mercy on me. So it's, it's as, as Samuel Rutherford said, somebody came up to him and said, you do, you're such a great preacher, you're amazing. He says, well, sometimes God can blow wind through an iron door. 
when you realize and keep your eyes on God's loving kindness towards you, it's hard to think more highly of yourself than you ought when there's someone so high above you. Praise God. So we look here at the lowliness of Jesus, that a twisted crown of thorns, too small in size, was pressed into his brow and blood flowed in his eyes, blinding him to all but the prize. This is humility personified. The blood of God not realized. And though men love things that are deified, not a God that's crucified, but that's my God. He comes and he dies. Oh, precious blood of him who loved me so. His hands are nailed and his head hangs low. His body is broken. His back is slashed open. The splintering cross is soaked in blood. Oh, what love and the love of me. And I see his glory when his feet upon the sea, but never such glory as when they're fastened to the tree. The breath of life breathes out his ghost with a dismayed angelic host and a naked God upon the post. He's mostly red. Come down, they said. Man's faith is dead, but God bled. God bled for sin to bring Adam back in. Praise God. If that doesn't cause an eruption on the inside, if that doesn't cause your heart to burst up and say, you have had mercy on me. Praise God. So I, I, I quote an old hymn here. It says, here it is, I find my heaven while upon the cross I gazed. And he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. He gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us. This is crazy. Maybe we just need to believe the gospel and all kinds of things will be solved. Maybe all of these issues that people are having are just gospel deficiencies. Somewhere, something got in between them and recognizing the beauty and majesty of the Lord. And who he really says he is and what he has really done. Praise God. So... The central theme song of heaven we know is this. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. They will sing this song for endless ages. The death of God will never be forgotten because in it is the display of his wonderful and glorious attributes, character, humility, kindness, patience, and love. And it steals the heart away. The most romantic song on the planet is this. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Because by it he wins the heart. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? And when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we'll have no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun. Praise God. So this symmetry is what I wanted to bring before your eyes today. Because in it, you see the irresistible beauty of Jesus. In it, your heart is stolen away and he runs away to heaven with your heart. (laughs) He is dazzling. He stuns you when you see him. One glimpse of him conquers your will by melting your heart. You just become like water, taking whatever shape he desires of you. That's what his beauty does to us. So 
who he is is in fact manifested in what he has done. My exhortation to you is this, and I'm gonna borrow words from Samuel Rutherford. He said, do not look below God. Do not look below God. Listen, there is no reason why you should look away from him, but there are a million reasons why you should not. The moment the eyes leave the Lord and you begin to look at yourself or look at the world or look at somebody or look at something, the moment you take your eyes off the Lord, you begin to find your attraction to him start fading away. Listen, we can even cheat on God with stuff God gave us. How can you tell if that's happening? Your attraction is robbed. What does attraction robbed looks like? It looks like no longer desiring to run away and be alone with the Lord and hear his voice and experience his presence. The enjoyment of his presence, dear God, this is it. So I'm praying that we'll be enthralled with his beauty. You say, Eric, but you don't know my... You don't know my issues. You don't know my problems. You don't know my husband. You don't know my wife. You don't know my boss. You don't know my current situation. Take the situation and put it next to the beauty of Jesus Christ. That's the issue. It, are you going to let the situation get in front of the beauty of Jesus Christ? If you do, you will find death in its preliminary forms moving throughout your being. What is death in its preliminary forms? Well, depression is death in a preliminary form. Anxieties, these things that rob your peace, it's, it's all death in a preliminary form. The end of it is that you would be no more. It's seeking your life. So I want to remind you today that, that our life should be an endless preoccupation with the beauty of Jesus. This is the key and the essential Christian message is not behave, but behold, looking, looking directly upon him, and that everything depends upon him taking the chief place in your attention. Everything depends upon him taking the chief place in your, your attention. And as I said of William, nothing has even begun until we realize God's presence. You can read your Bible till you're blue in the face until you're aware of God's presence. It will never open for you. You can sing every song that you know until you're aware of God's presence. Your heart will not be moved. You can make yourself praise all day long, but until you're aware of God's presence, it will never be genuine. You can pray and intercede with the perfect phrases. You can adopt prayer books and grab a hold of the words and almost use prayer books. We use prayer books these days like spell books. We just put the right word. If I just say the right word, listen, until you realize the presence of God, you've done nothing. So we look for him. It's about him, is it not? When did it stop being about the reality of a man who is more beautiful than anything else worshipped and adored by presenting our bodies to him. I say this to the Lord many times. I say, Lord, here's my body. You know, we, in a marriage relationship, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 7, talking of a, a man and a woman, it says that the, the body of the woman does not belong to the, 
to, to, the, to the wife, but to the husband, and the body of the husband doesn't belong to the husband, but to the wife. I use this with my wife all the time. But <laughs> the, the scripture says it. But there's a type and shadow in it. If he's your husband, your body's his. If he's your husband, you give your body to him as well. Meaning you don't give it to anything else. I present my body to you, Lord. This is so important. So yes, the essential Christian message is not behave, but behold. He has made the most essential thing easiest for you. He actually says in the scriptures, look to me and be saved. <laughs> Very simple. Just look to me and be saved. If you keep looking to him, you'll live in salvation. Your faith is began and matured by the same means. Looking unto Jesus. Leonard Ravenhill was asked at the end of his life, how did you live so faithful to God without a scandal for so long? He said, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. If I want my faith to begin and be sustained all the way to the end, Jesus has got to be the tender of that faith and that tender of that flame. How do you do that? Well, you look at Jesus. See, grace is unlimited. Grace is empowering. But grace has a fixed dis distribution center, and it's the feet of Jesus. You can't claim grace until you've been at the feet where, they, where it flows from. Praise God. So he has made the most, the, the most essential thing easiest for you because an invalid can look and an infant can look. You see, there's no use in looking to yourself. There's no use of looking to a minister or looking to a friend or looking to a spouse or a government or money. It is looking to Jesus and Jesus looks at you and says, look to me, I bleed for you. Look to you. me, I'm a, I became a curse for you. He says, look to me, I was dead, but now I'm alive forevermore. And we begin to realize that in coming to him and looking at him, we expose our wounds and sores to his view so that he might heal them. When you find a cold heart, go show it to the flame. You feel like, oh man, I just feel like my desire for the Lord, I've let a lot of things get between him and me. All you have to do is turn your eyes to Jesus and he will melt all those other things away. Oh, it's the key, it's the root. And I'm telling you right now, the amount of people that I have seen fall away in the last two years is ridiculous. We're in a time where whatever can be shaken is being shaken. But I'll tell you what cannot be shaken. Jesus cannot be shaken. You say, people ask you what's gonna come. You can say with Brother Lawrence, my heart is so serene, it doesn't even matter. <laughs> I know in my life, all of my problems were first a failure to look at the beauty of Jesus Christ. If I trace all my failures, Back to their origin, it was first a failure to look at Jesus. Jesus tells us that he is way, he is truth, he is life. He said this because he knew you and he knew me. And he knew we would try to find a way and forget him. So he says, I am your way. He knew us, he knew that we would seek truths and forget him. So he says, I am the truth. And he knew you and he knew me that we would cling on to things that were spiritual and religious, thinking that we have life. But Jesus tells us clearly, you have no life in yourselves. I am life for you. And this is the, this is the, the what separates those that are not shaken 
and those that are shaken. Who is looking to the Lord and who is not looking to the Lord? And I tell you that when you look at the heights of him and you look at the depths that he went to, this will steal your heart every time. Um, my heart just feels like this is so simple and so practical that it's easy to miss what's actually being said. But I encourage you to apply your mind to who God says he is and let that be the determining of where your faith is so that you don't assault his character by worry, by fear. I mean, imagine how, imagine, many of you had kids and doesn't it grieve your heart when your kids don't trust you for some reason? Like you tell them to jump in, I'm right here, jump into the pool, you know, jump in, I'll catch you. No, 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 no. You really don't think I'm gonna catch, you really don't think I'm gonna catch you. There's something about this that the Lord is looking for those who offer him no resistance. He's looking for those who just throw themselves at his mercy and trust his nature and his name and his character and say, that is my God and I will trust him. And I'm gonna take it one step further. That is my God and though he slay me, yet I will trust him. And I'll take it one step further. My God is able to deliver me and he will deliver me. But even if he doesn't, he is good. Yes. Praise God. Just stand to your feet with me. Let's just together, let's make a decision. Just put your hand on your heart. Let's say this together because I know you're with me. I know that's why you're here. Yeah, just God's not listening to your words right now. He's listening to your heart. Just say this with me. Say, oh God, will you forgive me for putting things before you and having a low view of you? Show me the godness of God. Show me how glorious you are. And help me believe it so that I might trust you and never fear. And show me Jesus, his death, and how low he went, that it might steal my heart and cause me to fall in love and be captivated by such a man all of my days. God, show me the gospel and how it applies to every area of my soul that I might live free and in joy and in peace in confidence come whatever may come in your precious name amen amen praise God Can you guys tell him thank you again for everything he brings? And I realize how short I am. I need to be on the stage. <laughs> okay, guys, so we're gonna dismiss. The prayer room starts at two, so we won't open till 1.40. Also, we wanna encourage you guys. We've really been praying and everything and expecting for tonight. If you're a parent, obviously, all children are welcome. 
but if you can get a sitter, I would encourage you to get a sitter. The ones that are shaking their heads understand, but for everyone, we love your children, we want you guys in here, we want the kids in here, but for you to receive and for just letting the Holy Spirit flow, we would encourage a sitter. Also, I do wanna you know, make a mention, make sure your cell phones are on silent and Amber Alerts are on pause tonight. That would be wonderful, okay? All right, you guys have a great day. We'll see you guys back here at 1.40 for the two o'clock prayer room.